I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tara, where I'm recording today. How's your weather? Is it still apocalyptic? I haven't checked in a while. No, it's stopped. It's not raining today. It's not windy. It's actually quite pleasant. Um, it was raining yesterday, but yeah, it's really fine. And you're still spending it with me? Thank you. Yeah. The highlight of my week, you know that. <laughs> I mean, I agree, and it is for me also. Um, Tell me about your week. Have you had a moment of wonder? So um, I started reading Harry Potter out loud to my daughter, and she has always been the kind of person who's like, I'm not going to read it. No thanks. It's too boring. I don't like these Dudley people. Fair enough. I mean, like three years ago, she read the first two pages and decided it was too hard. She's 10 now, though, and I always said by the time she was 10, we were going to start reading it. Um, and so we have. We've been reading it. We've read the first four chapters, and she's really excited about it and really into it. And I'm like, yes, sucked in. Ha ha ha. I mean, I'm so excited to share it with her, obviously, because I love Harry Potter. But like, also, ha ha, I knew you'd love it. Yay. I'm so happy. It's like whatever that kind of schadenfreude is where you're deeply satisfied that someone likes something you knew that they would like, even though they protested. That's the feeling I have. That's kind of like your whole modus operandi, though, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what you do with me when you recommend stuff to me. And you're like, just read it, Jen. Just read it. If you like it, then tell me about it. Because I want to feel that like, <laughs> I did it. So what about you? Did you have a moment of wonder this week? I did. I had a really rough week. It's just been really hard with mm. work and stuff. And so I was feeling a bit down and I had my um, Harry Potter sacred text group on Wednesday and I was texting you beforehand being like, I just want to go home and get a bed and cry. Mm. And you're like, no, go to group. But I went to group and it was amazing. <laughs> so it's just so nice. It's nice to just like be able to talk about these things and just have two hours with people who are just on the same page and you're just yeah. gathering for this one purpose. And that's all you talk about. It's just honestly a delight. I didn't realize that we only have one chapter left of Philosopher's Stone. So we've already read the first book because I always forget how quickly it wraps up at the yeah. end. You know, it's like meandering nonsense and then suddenly what what is going on? Two chapters and it's all over. Mm. Yeah, so we've got one chapter left and then we'll be on to Chamber of Secrets, which is very exciting. I love how much you love it. And I love that you went to group. I'm really proud of you. I know you really wanted to go home. Thank you. For that the was record, worth it. I like... was not being mean. I was like, <laughs> maybe if you go, you'll have a good time, though. You should try it. Yeah. Yeah. And you were right. And it, I did have a good time. And it did like lift me because it was Wednesday. So it gave me a bit of a lift for the rest of the week. I'm looking forward to Harry Potter class starting back up. We're so blessed with Harry Potter in a way. Like I was thinking about that reading our section this week. And just when your fandom is this big, mm -hmm. being able to connect with people in an even like a non-fandomy way because it permeates popular culture yeah. in the way that it does. You know, so like if I want to go and buy a Hedwig plushie, for example, I am very confident that I can find one, whether official or on Etsy I could very very oh, easily yeah. find what I want then the other day I was looking for something and I was like man I forgot how hard it is when your fandom is not mainstream yeah how hard it is to find things and how hard it is to like find people who want to talk to you about it well 
This week we're reading chapters 17 through 20 through the week of disillusionment. Do you have a story to share with us, Jen? I do. It was challenging to decide on what story to tell this week because I feel like I have had many instances of disillusionment in my life, Mm -hmm. mostly related to almost every career choice I have ever made. But then I, I thought I would go back to the first real instance of something not being as good as I thought it would be. And I was trying to picture how I got there. So bear with me. We're going to go back to when I was like five years old here. So when I was five or maybe six, it came time for me to graduate kindergarten and head off to primary school. And we had a bit of a snag in that instance because my kindy teacher didn't actually want me to graduate. My birthday's in November, so compared to, say, a kid born in January, I seem quite young. And I was also an only child, both things that my teacher believed would negatively impact on my education and my growth. My mum, however, was trained in early childhood education and also, you know, she knew me. So she did not really buy into this line of reasoning. And in a way that is very typical for my family, she just went all out to serve up a giant FU to this poor teacher. So she took me off to be tested and I had my IQ tested, behavioural aptitude tested, Tested, went through the whole shebang and these tests happened to take place at my mum's old university so for two days as a five-year-old I was taken off to uni to do these tests and I don't really have many memories from this time in my life you know it's quite young but I do vividly remember walking into that campus and being overawed by it like yeah. I just loved everything about it I loved going into the classroom I just loved everything about the experience and of course I was tested and the teacher had to back down and I was packed off to school and in a twist of irony I was tested again five years later and this time to skip me ahead a year again I passed with flying colors but the ministry of education wasn't letting anyone skip grades so I had to carry on where I was but at the risk of sounding like incredibly arrogant I have always been too smart for my own good and as a result I didn't really fit in at school Mm. um I had friends and I wasn't bullied and everything was fine Like, it was a totally fine experience. I actually just didn't like school. It sounds weird now because I was so good at it. It's something that I had to do. It wasn't something that I particularly enjoyed. Mm. But the one thing that I knew that kind of kept me going is that I wanted to go to university because I had this formative memory. It was this mythical place that I remembered, you know, from that five-year-old encounter. And it was embellished further by films and TVs. And it just looked so amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I could go to this place where you could be as smart as you were and, you know, you wouldn't have to temper what you said or thought and people would just like you as you were and you wouldn't be alienated for that. You know, you wouldn't be alienated for knowing things or for being smart or for having opinions. And I wanted it so badly. Um, You know, I was going to get a good degree. I was going to get a PhD. I was going to be an academic and write and be happy forever. I didn't give any thought to what I was going to study. I just wanted to get there. So by high school, I was in a new country and I was pretty much done with the whole school thing to be honest like I was just kind of over it Hmm. I was bored I resented almost everything I had to do because I was good at it without even trying and teachers would kind of cajole me through it um just one more speech you won't have to do this at university just one more group assignment you'll miss that at uni when it's no longer there and then finally the day arrived I got to go to university and I walked in all bright-eyed and full of hope so ready to finally live up to that truest nerdiest little self that I've always wanted only to discover that university is not like that at all I don't know what university my school teachers went to but they are dirty rotten liars um all the stuff they told me I'd never have to do again I had to do again and I still hated it Mm -hmm. like I'm sorry it's still terrible 
I still had incredibly frustrating classmates. I still had some lecturers who weren't great. And I still felt alienated. And this sense of belonging that I'd been holding out for for, what, 13 odd years? It didn't materialise. So the disappointment was absolutely crushing. And I was so disillusioned by the entire education system, by my entire life, where I was told that being smart would pay off someday. You know, I persisted. I got my bachelor's, I got my honours, I got my master's, I started a PhD, and every time I hoped that it would be different, and every time I was disappointed in you. So there's no room in reality for the kind of academic I am in my heart, and realising that was the first and hardest experience of disillusionment for me. Aww. I mean, it was never going to be a fun story, but... <laughs> oh man, that sucks. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I also thought college was going to be this like complete transformation for me in so many ways. And it turns out that I took myself with me and could not change. And then also had to deal with a lot of stuff that didn't make it conducive to succeeding. Yeah, we build these stories in our heads, right? I think this is the problem with disillusionment is you you build up this picture of what you think it's going to be and reality is never going to match that. Yeah, I will touch on that a little bit because it made there were points in my life where I became quite cynical as a inoculation against disillusionment. Mm-hmm. But thanks for sharing. I'm so sorry that uni wasn't the magical experience that it should have been. Oh, that's all good. I don't think that kind of experience really exists outside of, I don't know, romantic <laughs> fiction. Um, should I read our chapter summaries? Oh, yes, please. All right. So, Kath improves Nick's story. She meets a fan of her Simon Snowfic in the library and plays it really cool. Kath is devastated when Nick reveals he's turning in their story for his final project. Kath and Ren's dad is hospitalized. Ren is content to stay and finish finals, but Kath asks Levi to drive her back to Omaha. They discuss the party where Levi kissed another girl, and when Kath asks him to go, he goes. As it is almost Christmas break, Kath goes ahead and stays in Omaha, where she and Ren fight over their mom. It was very, very intense. Mm. There was just a lot of feelings going on. I really struggled with like disillusionment, but then once I figured out my thesis, which is that Kath feeds the disillusionment so that she doesn't ever have to have expectations, so she doesn't ever get hurt. Once I figured that out, I was able to reframe it as, okay, here's somebody who is always letting herself down before she can actually be let down, right? Do you agree? Yeah, I think there's definitely moments where she doesn't let herself engage because it's a protection mechanism. Hmm. So she spends all this time going, oh, there's no way that Levi could really like me and he just kissed me and it was an accident. And then when she sees him kissing someone else, she's like, oh my gosh, how could I have thought that he liked me? I've been telling myself for two days that he couldn't like me. Why does it still Mm. suck? Why does it still hurt? Yeah. I also think that there's definitely a time frame for her, right? I kept thinking about this in terms of Levi and her mom, right? So those were the two big parallels, right? So her mom screwed up by leaving, but she hurt them continually by not coming back, by not taking those phone calls. So Levi might have hurt her, but he picks up the phone and he stops what he's doing and he takes her home, right? So we have this parent who's meant to be there unconditionally, but never really was, and then totally blanked her own kids. And then you have Levi, who was kissing someone else, yeah, but will still walk out of a shift, which I can tell you, having worked at Starbucks, that is a big deal. You do not do Mm. that. Like, that is lose your job territory. He walks out of a shift to drive her home, and he does it without, like, getting Levi all over her, you know, because he's worried that Mm. he's upset her. So there's definitely a time frame where if you screw up, you have a little bit of time to fix it, but that really shrinks with Kath. When Nick starts doubling down, for example, she's like, nah. Wow, okay, let's just talk to this Levi situation before we get into Nick, because if you read my notes... 
you will see that I feel very strongly about that. Oh, yeah. Nick's going to have his head on a pike, I think, after this week. Um, Yeah, I think I definitely saw disillusionment in the situation with Levi. One, you know, is this thing that she thought was... She thought he was so great, and then he disappoints her by kissing another girl. Mm. And I think she unfairly fixates on that. (laughs) On page 250, she says, Levi probably loved leap years. Another day, another girl to kiss. That is very unfair. She keeps bringing it up because she doesn't really want to deal with it, but she's, like, dealing with it by bringing it up so much. And there was another one on page 216 when she's having a little cry, you know, and she talks about Levi and she says, the way he'd put his arm around her, like he wanted to hold her up, like he wanted to make everything easy for her. And of course, the irony being that he's making this hard for her now. But also what struck me there was just one of the great things I think about getting older is just being able to call people and stuff like that. Mm. It's so easy in that situation to just have a conversation like, yeah, I can brood and cry into my pillow or I could just talk to him about it. But she just avoids him. And by avoiding him, it just gets worse and worse and bigger and bigger. And he's open to having a conversation. He tries, but she's the one who shuts him down. One thing I noticed was that once she actually had to have the conversation with him, she did. She cleared that disillusionment with him up because he was like, oh my gosh, I kissed her and she hated it. He didn't Mm. know that she had seen him kissing someone else like the next day. Which is a reasonable assumption when you're trying to reach out to someone and she just avoids you. And also the fact that she didn't talk to him right after the kiss. Mm -hmm. Like she had avoided him pre-party. How do you read that, you know? Yeah. I thought it was so funny when right at the start of the section on page 205, she talks about him misspelling pumpkin. Yeah. And she said the fact that he misspelled pumpkin made her wince. And I find it so funny because when you are internet dating, when you're on the apps, this is one of the things I have to struggle really hard against, not to just judge people straight out of the gate because of how they write. And the fact that she was giving him all this benefit of the doubt, but now that he's hurt her, she immediately is just like, she shut down that level of compassion or it like hurts her she can't allow for it as easily Mm. there was a great line i didn't put it in my marginalia but the bit where he said did i read you wrong and she's like her brain tried to make a mean comment about reading about him and reading yeah oh i'm so glad she didn't say something like that because you can't walk that sort of horribleness back Mm. i love that she was able to kind of go okay no i can't go that far i can't be that unkind but she's aware that her brain is like kind of a jerk sometimes Yeah, because she doesn't want to feel anything, so she just needs to be judgy. I get it. I totally get (laughs) it. Me too. I totally get it. I think I love that she still likes him, though. Like, she still thinks about him. She even says it's easier to think about him. On page 250, she says it's easier to think about him now that Kath knew she'd never have him, that she'd probably never see him again. He's safe, unattainable, again, at a distance, again. Just have the conversation, people. It'll be fine. I'm really glad that she actually told him why, because now he can figure out what he wants. And now he also knows how she feels. He knows that it wasn't just a kiss for her. Like, that's important. Mm, Totally. Makes me so happy that they talked. I just love communication so much. Me too. More communication. Like, I really hate this media now where it's like four episodes of miscommunication and people just purposely missing the point. Like, I can't actually watch it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch a show where people don't talk to each other for two seasons because of one miscommunication they haven't cleared up. I'm just not interested. It's like one little argument they have, but then like someone murders someone else and they're fine with it. Like the proportionality is all wrong. Anyway. <laughs> I like this because the stakes feel absolutely as high as they should. Yeah. I like that Kath is aware in a, in herself that she still really likes Levi. Like she's not disillusioned about her own feelings toward him. Like she's 
imagining him. She's missing him. Um, she says this great line on page 233. His eyes were warm and baby blue. They made you feel like he liked you better than other people. Like she's still mm. herself, but she just really still likes him. And it's hard for her. And I love that she is aware of this. Yeah, it's not disillusionment, I think, but I think she's got some definite abandonment, self-worth issues, right? Like for her, it makes perfect sense that Levi wouldn't want her. That's why she doesn't interrogate it further because she has already been left once, right? She's already been deemed unworthy once. And she's kind of going through that trauma with Ren. Like Ren makes her feel that same wound, like she's being abandoned again by someone she thought she could trust and who she would choose over anyone. Yeah, I did see that. And that made me sad. I think one of the things I wanted to point out this reading was that I really love that Kath is pretty firm on her boundaries like her identity is extremely fixed around her boundaries like she knows what is okay and what is not okay for herself and she doesn't compromise on that so the scene with Nick in the library she immediately gets herself out of there because she's like this is not okay she tells Levi exactly when she finally actually has to she tells Levi exactly what was wrong and why it bothered her and with Ren and the conversation they have about her mom she's like no I'm not gonna go see her I'm not gonna be upset at you for doing it I figured you would but like I am not gonna do it I'm not gonna call her to drive me to Omaha I'm not gonna do anything with her I'm not going to accept a gift from her like she's really firm on her boundaries and I love that about her yeah and like Ren really resents that about yes. her right like that's what we see in this section because in that section where they're having the argument in the kitchen mm. on page 246 Ren says you hate change if I didn't drag you along behind you'd never get anywhere and then Kath is like you know well you're not dragging me anywhere anymore and blah 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 and you just get the sense that Ren is really disillusioned with Kath mm. like she's disillusioned with their relationship in the same way that Kath is disillusioned about her relationship with Ren they're kind of disappointing each other yeah and I think it's because Ren doesn't want to be the person she was before but Kath doesn't see any need to like change I have a lot to say about Ren this time but I'll cap it she is not coping she's really not coping and I think that Kath is clued into this and is like watching it all happen and she's at this distance that Ren has created right so Ren is avoiding her by not coming home when she's drunk because she doesn't want Kath to like look at her and judge her because Ren knows that she's kind of doing too much drinking like she knows she's doing too much drinking she knows she's getting plastered way too much and they have this conversation in the kitchen where like Kath is cooking her something and she wants so badly for Ren to be serious about offering to better for her because that was something they used to do together but she doesn't let herself accept it because she's like no this isn't really we're not sharing again like she knows that Mm. they're not sharing but Ren's mad at her about some other things and like she's mad at Kath for not going with her to like reconnect with her mother but yeah that's not for Kath Kath has already made her position really clear on it so Ren doesn't really have a reason to be upset except she has pushed Kath away now she's realizing she actually didn't want to push her that far away yeah I think it's really interesting on page 246 she says I can't believe you're making me do this alone Mm -hmm. and also previously she wanted Kath to come out with them and their old friends yeah and Kath makes this observation being like yeah they would think it's weird if you showed up without me but in our new reality people would think it was weird that we showed up together yeah and it also really like stood out to me when Kath called Ren to talk about their dad. She says Ren sounded surprised when she answered the phone, which makes me think, how long has it been since they've spoken? I'm guessing they haven't at all. Like weeks. In this yeah. entire time. Yeah. Which is crazy for them. And yeah. why does Ren not reach out to Kath? Because she'd have to admit that she had done something really crappy. That's my guess. I avoid people when I'm wronged them. Mm. I definitely don't want to like be reminded of me being a bad friend. You could never. Oh, I have definitely. I can definitely see Ren's point of view being a crappy friend, being a crappy sister, and then being like, 
well, I can't deal with your nonsense. I can't deal with your drama. When actually, like, she created this problem and now Kath has become resilient and she does not like it. There was something really cold to me about the fact that she didn't want to go back when their dad was in hospital. And she makes this point that, well, he's going to be really out of it and we, you know, we might as well just finish finals and then go. But Kath is like, no, I need to be there for him whether he's conscious or not yeah. is not the point. And the fact that Ren lets her do that on her own is just, I find that really hard. Yeah, I think I can see both points of it, right? Like, this is something that's happened mm-hmm. before. We know that there have been at least three different times when their dad's been hospitalized. So I can see Ren being like, okay, we know how this plays out. I know what my role in this is going to be. Like, he'll be okay in a week or two. Christmas is like three days away. I'll be there over the break like I can see how her she like forward thought through it all and I I do feel like Kath reacts really emotionally to this because I mean Ren's right there really is nothing you can do but also I think if I were Ren I would have had to say like I can see how upset you are about this I'll help you find the way I can see Ren's Mm. logic I've certainly made decisions like that myself in that situation where you know you find out someone's in hospital and you have to especially when you live far away you have to go through the checklist being like is this the one is this serious enough and so I can totally empathize with Ren and her logic but when your twin sister who you have shared everything with is that upset like even if it was my friend if my friend was that upset and they were like I have to go see my mother she's in hospital or whatever I would go with them yeah like it's not even my family but I would go because I love my friends and I want to be there for them and this matters to them and the fact that Ren is just so shut off she won't let herself feel anything that she's gonna let Kath mm. just run off and do this on her own is nuts to me and like compare that with the way that Kath was with the orderly at the hospital right it was on page 231 when she had argued with the orderly about getting to see her dad she wanted everyone here starting with this guy to know that her dad was a person not just a crazy person that he had people who cared about him and would notice if he was roughed up or given the wrong medicine like she's like ready to fight for her dad I kind of read that a little bit through the lens of identity as well because I started Mm. to see this kind of mental illness as an identity thing in this section right yeah because Kath has that conversation when she's little with Ren where she says you know I am I'm crazy like him and she talks about her DNA being a trap ready to snap clothes on her and she's worried about her dad but she's also worried that this is something that she has within herself as well yeah and the way that we view these things like I I just need to say right now part of their identity is that Ren and Kath both blame their mom leaving for Kath's mental illness and Kath's dad's mental illness that is very plausible that the trauma of that triggered these things but there are lots of kids out there who have great parents who are supportive and present and still have anxiety there are lots of people who have great home lives who still have bipolar disorder sometimes you're just mentally ill sometimes your brain just does that to you also I just want to say I do not like the discourse around medication in this section. Mm. I don't like it. I don't like when people talk about me stifling creativity or doing any of that stuff. It really kind of upsets me because quite frankly, it's that kind of talk around mental illness and medication that stopped my parents from getting me the help that I needed as a kid because they didn't want me to become quote unquote a robot, which is not what would have happened. Mm -hmm. But that's very much the discourse around it. So as a person who has a disorder, which I am medicated for, I can say there's a lot of conversations parents have around ADHD meds like oh my kid's not my kid anymore and I have actually been both in that I am taking this medication and I see a difference and also I am the parent of a person taking this medication and I see the difference the problem I have with that is I feel like there aren't enough options being explored like it seems like their dad has tried one thing and that's what they do every time yeah instead of like an ongoing this is what might help if we do something else but I will say the exercise thing that really resonated with me because that 100% is something that helps my ADHD so and ADHD and bipolar a lot of the symptoms are the same so I imagine a lot of the treatments 
translate to. And exercise definitely helps my kind of like depressive episodes as well. Like if I can get it early enough and I do some exercise. This is not to say that if you're depressed, just go for a run, you'll feel better. No, but it's just one of the coping things you can do. I mean, it's literally the worst, but it will help. Yoga is not going to solve your depression, but if you're doing regular exercise, you're going to feel better. It sucks, but it's true. I think I feel very sensitive about this kind of link being drawn between being manic or being depressed and being creative. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be depressed to be creative. Yeah, I, I would agree with that argument. I don't like it very much, but I am willing to accept that that's how Art Avery views it and views himself. Oh, absolutely. But I don't think that we should then translate it to ourselves because I could tell you right now that all of my 20,000 word writing days are behind me because I am no longer hyper-focused the way that I was when I was in the worst of my like untreated, undiagnosed ADHD. But I'm actually really happy with being like a fully formed, overall productive human being. And Art Avery is making this choice to not be able to do coping adulting things in order to be able to do the manic creative things. And that is like an informed choice he's making. But I don't think his kids made that choice and I don't think it's fair for them. Yeah. He might have unwrinkled brain on the meds, but he probably can like cook dinner and look after his kids a little better. So, Or just like look after himself a little Mm. better. You know, like maybe you're not at your most creative, but you're a functioning adult. Like you can cook yourself dinner, you can do your laundry, you can do all these things to keep yourself like healthy. And maybe that is worth sacrificing a genius idea. Yeah. And that's not to say that you can't have genius ideas when you are not, you know, not manic. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, I saw a comedian a couple of years ago, Alice Bryan, and she talked about going onto her ADHD meds and how for ages, you know, it was like, oh, we don't want you to become a zombie. And then she went on the meds and she was like, wait, I can just get stuff done and I can just like, I'm not distracted and I can, I remember my keys when I leave and I don't have to run up and down and I'm not always late and my life is not difficult. And <laughs> Not having ADHD. For me, that was the first time that I really understood. It's just about getting everyone on the same wavelength, right? So that we're all processing the same information. I often compare them to glasses. Like, I can still get around without my ADHD meds, but everything's a lot harder and nothing is as clear. Mm. And if you have your glasses on, you can see better. And it's just another aid. It just helps. And unfortunately, the world is built for people who can attend, and I really struggle with it, so... I'm trying to bridge that gap. Yeah, it's again about how we build our worlds, right? Why is society set up the way that it is? Who decided that this is the normal baseline? But whatever. I need to stop being a nihilist. I've literally had three (laughs) breakdowns at work this week about like, why do we have to work? This is what we've built. We've built the society. I don't want to be here. And people are like, you need to chill out. And then on Friday, I was like, doesn't matter. The Gulf Stream is stopping anyway. So we're all going to die. And everyone's like, please, please stop. Oh no, I'm sorry. I've had a great week. Oh, speaking of disillusioned, Mm. I think there's another moment where we actually see Ren becoming a bit disillusioned. You know, when they're having that argument in the kitchen and Kath says about their mother, you know, she goes on this big rant and she says, it's always going to be because I didn't have a mother. That's the ultimate kind of broken, the kind of damage you never recover from. I hope she feels terrible. I hope she never forgives herself. And then Ren says, don't say that. I'm not broken. Yeah. And I think in that moment, she's really confronted with, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me. And it's something that she refuses to admit to herself. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that Ren's fighting really hard against the idea that there was any lasting impact. And Kath is really driving that home that, I mean, she even says, do you think that I absorbed all of the impact that when mom left, it hit my side of the car? She left you too. And Ren's like, Mm. no, no, but like, it didn't break me. Nothing can break me unless I let it. Okay, let me just say that's not how it works either. Things happen to you and you are affected by them. Even seemingly innocent things that 
you don't realize have a traumatic effect on you will have a traumatic effect on you. And it can be the dumbest thing ever. And you're like, oh my gosh, why did this traumatize me? I think that your parent leaving and then blanking you is hugely traumatic. And if Ren, Ren absolutely is affected by it. Like she would not be acting out in this way if she wasn't still dealing with it. I think that Ren is performing what she thinks is a normalcy, but only because her crazy is socially acceptable. Binge drinking is yes. socially acceptable, whereas like OCD and bipolar are not as socially acceptable. And the way that sports fandom is socially acceptable, but writing Simon Snow fan fiction is not acceptable, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So we see these two dichotomies of what is normal playing out. There's just things that Ren does that I find really hurtful. I don't know if she's purposely being hurtful, but the fact that she chooses to go and spend Christmas Eve with Laura mm. when she has this tradition with Kath where they watch all the Simon Snow films. Films. It's just, yeah. especially when they've had this distance and they could have this one little tradition. And then she also, you know, Kath says this was the first time in 10 years that Ren hadn't given her something to do with Simon Snow. Yeah. And I get that Ren is trying to grow up, but it feels so pointed to like take this away from Kath. Yeah, it feels like Ren's trying to move her on rather than allowing Kath to move on in her own time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I do love that everybody in their dad's life gets him clothes because they know he's not going to go buy them for himself. I love that. <laughs> that made me smile. I also really enjoy getting socks as an adult. I'm just putting it out there. Like they mentioned in this, they got socks as a joke. But I don't know. When you're 33, getting socks is actually pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Especially because the good socks are so expensive. Love a good sock. <laughs> I'm wearing two pairs right now. I love socks. They're great. I'm also wearing two pairs, but I have to when I wear my docks. Otherwise, my feet hurt. They're loose inside, aren't they? They're the right size, but they're loose inside. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. Well, mine are still, even though I've had them for two years, they're still not, no, more, probably four years. They're still not broken in. Do you know how to do the thing? You put all of your thick socks on and then you do the hair dryer trick. Yeah. And then you walk around while they cool off and that'll help. I need to do that. I'm just lazy. Put it on your boredom list. Okay. Let's talk about Nick, the absolute a-hole that he is. Oh, Nick. <laughs> So first of all, he gaslit Kath. I'm just going to say it. Also, the thing that really got me about this is that she believed that they were equals in this project. And then he pulls that like, oh, you're just my editor. Oh, you're just my helper. Oh, my lord. sounding board. That's when her disillusionment happens, when she realizes that he's never thought of her as equal. I totally agree. Like when he talks about, you know, you're a genius editor and you've got tons of potential. But do you really think this is your story? Page 220. I just wrote Hurl. And then on page 221, you really get me as an artist like no one ever has you're my best sounding ward double hurl yeah yeah he's the worst. no it all starts on page 210 when he talks about it'll be just like john lennon writing with taylor swift instead of paul mccartney listen here you absolute jumped up little <laughs> i loved her response to that though i mean yes but also i don't think john would have had any issues writing with taylor like she's actually a prolific songwriter mm. and she's written for other artists and maybe you shouldn't be so up yourself like what makes paul mccartney a better songwriter than taylor swift do not email me about this I do not actually want to know. Listen, I get it. People think that the Beatles are better than Taylor Swift. But you know what? The Beatles were Taylor Swift. That's how the they Beatles started. The Beatles were a boy band. And I love the Beatles. Don't get me wrong. I spent all of last week or whenever it was just listening to the White Album on repeat. I like the Beatles. Mm. But don't act like they're some sort of untouchable musical genius. They're just a pop band. They were the one direction of their time, people. I'm sorry if that hurts you. But you're not special. It's totally fine to love them. And to think they're great, but also Taylor Swift is just as good. 
probably more successful if we think about it. Oh my it. gosh, absolutely. I don't know. I, I don't have the stats on that, but I think that might be correct. They've got like, what, a 60-year head start or something, but yeah. Taylor's only, what, 30? We can get another couple of good albums out of her. For sure. And i just like to clarify that neither of us are like massive Taylor stands. We mm. just appreciate what she does. We're not like Swifties. I like her, but I'm not attached. I do love that her immediate response was, get over yourself. You're not half as pretty as Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she thinks that they're just ribbing, but he's negging her. Yeah, and this is this is what gets me because she thinks that they're just having fun and she's saying these things and she's making these throwaway comments and she thinks it's just like, ha ha, friends, nudge, nudge, yeah. wink, wink. Look at me kind of, you know, yeah. yeah, or like even flirting. She's like, are we flirting? But he's actually just being a massive jerk. And that is the worst bit. Because she also says on page 221, you know, about the magic third thing that lived between them when they were working together. So she thought there was this vibe, this synergy. Yeah. But he was just using her and it is so appalling. And the, the way he goes about like justifying it because he knows he's done something. He knows. Yes. He knows he's done something bad. And so he sets up this whole like, oh, here are all my defenses. This is not the first time he's done this. I just hate hate him same it was like when he was looking at her like she was a dumb kid i really felt that because so many times Mm. i've just been in that position where i'm like but we had a thing it was a thing and they're like no no you're imagining it this was all actually how i'm saying it is now that's not true it kind of just plays into her disillusionment with the writing class as well right because she's so blocked Mm -hmm. she is blocked with her writing she can't write this piece because she feels that door is kind of shut for her i was gonna ask do you think that getting that bad grade back on her assignment is what caused that disillusionment because she still loves professor piper but she's just not able to translate that into actually doing the work she doesn't care about it anymore I think she doesn't think she can. Mm. And I actually had this quote. This is a Hemingway quote. It's from The Snows of Kilimanjaro, which is my favorite Hemingway short story. And yes, I know that Hemingway is a terrible human being, but I do really like some of his writing. So I'm just prefacing that out. We are allowed to love art made by imperfect people. Yeah. So this is from The Snows of Kilimanjaro. It's one of my all-time favorite quotes, and it's something I think about a lot. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently since I've started writing a lot more prolifically. Now he would never write the things that he had saved to write until he knew enough to write them. Well, he wouldn't have to to fail at trying to write them either. Maybe you could never write them, and that was why you put them off and delayed the starting. Yes. And that's where I feel Kath is. Like, she's putting it off, she's delaying the starting because she doesn't want to fail, and she doesn't actually believe that she can write anything that is not Simon and Baz, because all she's written is Simon and Baz, and she's incredibly successful at that, yeah. but she cannot see a way past that. She talks about she still didn't have anything she wanted to finish, and I relate to that so hard, because I started so many projects in uni. Like, for every class, I started a different writing project and I would write them and everything and I never finished a single one of them because like Kath you know she says there was only one person who wanted her to finish that story and it wasn't even her that is the problem she didn't even care about it and like sometimes writing is not caring about it but still doing the work and that's really hard especially when it's a passion project like for me writing when I don't care is just excruciating which was my whole entire uni career was just putting out these things. It's no wonder that I haven't written in 10 years since. It's like people who don't read the first year out of uni because they've read so much and they just need a break from all the reading. It's just getting blood out of a stone. It really is. Yeah. And look, the best way for her to, to actually have done this writing, I think, would be to go and read a bunch of stuff she enjoyed. Absolutely agree. Yeah. If you're when you're stuck, stuck with writing. Go read. That's what I do. Whenever I'm really stuck, I just go and read like three books in a row and then I'm like, oh, hey, the words have come back. 
you cannot serve from an empty vessel. And if you used all your words, go put more in. I think it's interesting, this kind of like disillusionment of the writing class. Yeah. And then we sort of see the opposite of disillusionment when she runs into that girl in the library who really loves her Yeah, fanfic. I was going to say, it's like she refuses to disillusion this girl by telling her who she is. Like she doesn't ruin that distance. And I kind of love that the girl was sort of disillusioned with the GTL canon. Like mm. she says, you know, what was it? I think I love Magic Kath more. Like she might be my favorite author and she has never even written a book on page 213. I kind of love that for Kath, like to hear that when she just had this horrible experience. I love that too. And I think it's just, it was such a beautiful moment for her. Like what a boost. What a good thing to know that like somebody out there in the real world, not like just on the other side of your screen, but in the real world, loves what you're doing and is as nerdy about it as you end quote doesn't even look like a creepy shut-in <laughs> and I kind of love that as well because it again brought forward this kind of fandom as a identity marker right yeah. like the girl reaches out to Kath because she recognizes the t-shirt and so she's like oh I never get to talk to someone in real life about this stuff yeah. and like I have been there you know when you see someone with something fandom-y like which is why I like wearing fandom stuff as well it's yeah. why I wore this t-shirt out today I'm like just in case someone is out there yeah. and wants to talk to me about it I'm open. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I really loved that moment in the library. I thought that was great. Um, I think that Kath's disillusionment with her mother is why she won't give her any room. Like, she just has decided. Mm. Um, but as I said before, I think that that's really down to the fact that her mom had a window of time in which she could have repaired that relationship. Like, she could have said, okay, I'll come and get you guys every other weekend, or I want you guys for every summer. And she just didn't. No, she made no effort, right? There was just radio silence, which is bizarre. A decade. Like, I don't like it when I don't see my kids for, like, a couple hours. Like, I'm always so excited to pick my son up from school. I get it. I'm a total weirdo about my kids. I really like them. I think they're neat. I want to spend time with them. <laughs> I think they're great. I love having them around. I don't understand how people can go a week without their kids. I don't understand how people can go a decade. I just... But not only that, she went and found a whole new family. Mm -hmm somebody else who'd already had kids i wonder if that's not what adds to kath's resentment right it's like oh okay so it's not that you didn't want to be a mother you just didn't want to be our mother i think that's definitely part of it or maybe one of the joys of kids like stepkids that are already grown like you get that companionship but you don't have to do the work and that yeah and that was kind of like coming across in that bit where kath talks about um how people would say oh you're too young to have such big girls and she's like i feel too young I was 27 when my daughter was born and everybody commented that like we were really rushing and yet mm. my sister was 22 and finishing up so it felt very strange. I think it's very much a location and a generational thing like my mum had me when she was 27 and that was considered quite late. Yeah. Whereas now I've got friends you know who are having kids when they're 33, 34 if not older. Yeah so the idea of people having kids when they're in their 20s is kind of like oh you're very young aren't you having 27 having a kid. <laughs> 24 and getting married, being called a child bride. <laughs> well, I stand by that. Like, I know you did, and I know friends of mine did, but don't get married before you're 25 people. I'm not here for it. It gets worse because I met Simon when I was 19, and I was like, oh, this is my person. Unsubscribe, Jay. Like, this is it. I was just like, I don't want to do life with anyone else. That's sweet. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's adorable. <laughs> Um, I have more Art Avery Award for parenting, awesome parentings to hand out. He lets Kath check his mental temperature. He tries to reassure her. He lets her do routine stuff. I don't know. I just think he's really lovely. And I especially love the bit at the end where Ren's going out the door and she says, I'll tell mom you say hi. Ren said to him, that's probably not necessary. He said cheerfully enough. I was like, yes, 
suck it to the Nazgul. Yes. I also loved his little X-Men reference mm-hmm. when he said on page 249, you know, I went to the new, see the new X-Men movie and I was convinced the whole time that Professor X and Magneto were in love because he spent too much time with them. And so I just <laughs> want to give a shout out to all the um, X-Men first class Charles and Eric shippers. We had a good time there for a while. Yeah. And it also gives me an excuse to talk about Noelle Stevenson, who did the cover art for this book. Yay! Because she was big in the, uh, they were big in the X-Men first class oh, is, fandom. is Noelle a they them? She, he, they. Any, oh, okay. any, any or all. But anyway, Noelle was massive in the X-Men fandom back then on the tumblers. And she did all these amazing, oh, and it was just great. And I have one of them that hangs on my wall and it was just a great time. And she also did the cover for this book. And that's still how I imagine Levi in my head. It's cute. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. Look at the cover. I have a couple versions of this book. I love the Regan. I just love this art style. Me <laughs> too. So cute. Me too. So I had a lot of fun finding some parallels, which I wanted to talk about. Yeah, of course. So earlier in the book, Cap kind of jokes around with Levi that he exploits girls for their knowledge. And then mm. it really does happen to her. Nick is exploiting her in the exact way that she kind of like mm-hmm. jokingly accused Levi. But I think Levi actually does genuinely like the people that he studies with, right? Whereas Nick really wants whatever magic it is that Cap has, but is not willing to like share that. I really wish that Kath had just told him what she was internally thinking, which was that great line. Let me just find it. Page 207, and that his anti-love story read like somebody's first fanfic, Mary Sue to the 10th power. She should have said that to him. That is a devastating burn. So devastating. Too good for fanfiction. But it 100% is a devastating burn. And oh my gosh, when she was talking about his magic pixie dream girl stopping her car to pick the dandelions. (laughs) What is happening? This was the other pair so she talks about that they have this whole conversation where she's like i'm crossing this out no 22 year old girl is gonna stop and pick a dandelion and wish on it and also every single volvo manufactured between 1965 and 1976 is in these stories which made me think of twilight but anyway yes yes the volvo the responsible dad car oh my gosh but then when she says when she's talking to levi in the hospital she says his hair was Mm. made of finer stuff than cats silk down blown out dandelion seeds she made a wish yeah i saw that as well just the parallels i love it so much I also think that the one parallel I really got stuck on was that Ren is feeling really shirty about Kath not being with her on something after she dropped her like a hot potato. Like, oh, I can't believe Mm -hmm. you're making me do this by myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When she literally did not tell Kath that they were going to not be roommates. She cut her hair without telling her. She didn't tell her that she was having this conversation and going to their moms for Thanksgiving. Like, she has not communicated. Why does she think that Kath is going to be, like, on board? Like, why does she think she can even claim to be upset about this? I mean, if she had said, like, I really need to figure out what's going on and I don't want to do it by myself, that's a different thing. I can't Mm. believe you're making me do this on my own. It makes it seem like Kath set this whole thing up and then ditched her at the last minute which is not the case. No, I feel like maybe Ren is just used to Kath just always being there mm-hmm. for her regardless. I feel like she treats Kath like a little bit of a doormat because she can. Kath has allowed it because she thought it was an equal relationship, but now it's become very clear that it's not equal yeah. and Kath has gone, okay, well now I'm enforcing my boundaries. And Ren's like, how dare you have boundaries? Pretty much. It's a good read on it. But I also think that Kath is just not like, 
she mentions that they're back to talking because she's decided they are, but they're not into the sharing stage. Like, she hasn't told Ren about Levi or Nick. And, like, those are huge things that have really affected her, and she hasn't even mentioned them to, to Ren. And, like, the only person who really knows what happened with Levi is Regan, and she is really good at pretending that it didn't happen because that's what Kath wanted her to do. Yeah. MVP award to Regan for just being like, okay, if that's what you need, that's what you need, and doing it. I love that Regan can do that because it's not a power I possess. I also love that Regan, when Levi called her almost the, like, you know, the next day or whatever it was, she went and met him downstairs because yeah. she just was like, Kath wants to study. So she was very considerate. Yeah, and then the, I think I've already talked about this parallel, but um, might as well hammer it home again. The person who shows up for you is the person who gets the most chances. Laura, by blanking her kids for years, does not get any more chances, like that ship has sailed. But Levi, who picks up the phone in the middle of a shift to take Kath home, is still in with a chance, even though Kath doesn't really realize it yet. Because he shows up, because he turns up, because she can trust the kind of person he is. Like, she's not disillusioned by him. She's upset about what he did, but she's actually right about his character. Yeah, she's more disillusioned with romance right in general rather than Levi and also like the idea that anyone could love or want her just her Nick needs to die in a fire oh my gosh Nick most of my notes are not fit for public broadcast (laughs) but I had to write them down I understand that's how I was with Ren last section I was writing so many f-bombs um do you have an in-depth marginalia I do have an in-depth marginalia let me just find it it's on page 247 and it is the big fight the big fight so Kath and Ren are having this fight in the kitchen while Kath is making Ren an omelette I might add so she's feeding her which is a parallel with um Levi actually because Levi's always feeding Kath yeah I mean his major is grazing I love that. That was so clever. So it is on page 247 and it's the line, it's two lines. So Kath says, do you think dad let it? Do you think he chose to fall, fall apart when she left? Yes, Ren was shouting now. And I think he keeps choosing. I think you both do. You'd rather be broken than move on. So I think this relates to the theme because, you know, they're both disillusioned with each other. Yeah. Kath is disillusioned with the idea of her mother. Ren is disillusioned with the idea of a functional family. I think yeah. there's just a lot of disillusion in there. But I think the reason it stood out to me is because it just feels really real to me. I think as someone who has suffered from depression and had horrible situations, the idea that people think you are choosing to inflict this on yourself is one of the things that I find the hardest to cope with. This idea that every time you let someone down, that you're struggling, you are letting someone down, right? You're choosing this. If you were stronger, if you were like Ren, you know, who says that nothing can break me unless I let it, you feel so, so weak in that moment. You feel like you're really like a liability to everyone that you love. And I just wanted to spotlight that because it's absolutely not true. Our brains just lie to us. It's not our fault that we are going through terrible things, that we are having hard times it's not Art and Kath's fault that they have anxiety or bipolar disorder you know they just do what they do and we have to remember to be kind to ourselves and I think that's just important to keep in mind beautiful don't think Ren's being very kind she wants to be the normal one if we're going off of Kath's the whatever one yeah she wants to be the normal one the well-adjusted one the coping one um but she isn't I wonder if maybe she doesn't feel like she's allowed to be crazy since her dad is and her sister is like she feels like she has to 
to carry that and she can't actually like express the things she needs to express. But then I don't feel like she really, she's not the one holding things together. Kath is. Mm, yeah, Kath's doing the actual work. Yeah. Like if Ren was the one cleaning up after everyone and she was like, someone in this family has to be sane because otherwise everything falls to pieces, yeah. right? I would buy that. But she's not. So yep, she yep. can't actually claim it. I did pick that up as well. And I was like, how come it's always Kath who's like doing this and yet Ren treats her like this huge burden? Mm-hmm. So frustrating. Um, How about you? Did you have an in-depth marginalia? Yeah. So um, on page 239, this line really jumped out at me. She was, she had just gotten back from like picking up her dad's car and starting all the laundry and there was nothing really left to clean and she didn't want to sleep downstairs. So she tried to go to bed in her bed and that didn't work. And it's the line is, when that didn't work, she climbed into Ren's bed, taking her laptop with her. I just, there's something about that that really, it hit me like a fist to the chest, right? Because I have definitely been in the position where I've been so badly hurt by somebody that mm. I love that like I couldn't even fathom having the conversation with them but then I'm still upset and I still want to be with them like I want to be near them I still want the comfort that they offer when I'm not that hurt and that just really hit me hard that she couldn't sleep because she didn't feel safe in her own bed but she was able to climb into her twin sister's bed and kind of hunker down and she took her laptop and that was how she was able to like soothe herself to get to sleep so even though she and Ren fight like that bond is still so strong and she still would choose Ren over everyone and I think there's something really beautiful about that kind of like love that she just is willing to do what it takes to feel that way like get that self-soothing but she's also not going to depend on Ren for it she's just going to like sneakily climb into her bed when she's not home and and hope that that's enough to like settle her something about it was both really sad and really beautiful and it just made me think of all the times that I've really wanted someone to look after me but haven't been able to rely on that and so I've had to like make do yeah so yeah I just need to look for that and next time I'm experiencing that just think about it so that I'm a little more aware rather than it being this like vague dread but like no you're sad because of this and find your comfort where you can right exactly and look I think it was a really good way of doing that because she knew that she couldn't take her worries to Ren but she was still able to like calm herself down that way we work a lot on like how to self-soothe in ways that are respectful to others you know Mm -hmm. like that's one of the things we often are discussing and so I love that she just found this really good solution Kath's great at finding solutions yeah she does just figure it out doesn't she I do hate that she can't turn to Ren for comfort or not even that that she doesn't trust Ren anymore yeah yeah, I, it's the Simon Snow stuff. She said too many things about Simon Snow that were just... Hurtful. Unnecessarily hurtful. So, of course, Kat's not going to turn to her with real life stuff. Mm. I wouldn't. Neither would I. <laughs> like, you wouldn't catch me being vulnerable with somebody who's gotten under my armor. No way. No, especially not about something like that. It's really hard. Wow. Who did you want to spotlight this week? This will come as a huge surprise, but I'd actually like to spotlight Ren because I think she needs help. But Mm -hmm. she's super incapable of admitting it or wanting to acknowledge it. And I have said a lot that I am Ren, because I am. Not that I'm like the normal one or the pretty one or whatever. But I am the person who really thought for a long time that I couldn't be depressed because, Mm -hmm. like, I am not a depressed person. Uh, But it turns out I very much could be. She's really really got tickets on herself about being this, like, capable and competent person but she's really not she's not able to do the things she needs to do in order to grow and move forward and i really just want to give her a hug and also tell her that like she doesn't have to do it alone she doesn't have to do it with kath but she doesn't have to do it alone yeah and like maybe go to the counselor on campus and talk to them about this stuff because it's it's affecting her life her day-to-day life yeah yeah how about you did you want to spotlight anyone this week i wanted to spotlight kath 
because I feel like she's really going through it in this section. You know, she's just time after time hitting all her little vulnerabilities. You know, there's the abandonment issue she has with Levi. There's Nick just completely using and abusing her. But the bit that really got to me is that Ren just does not respect her boundaries when it comes to her mother, to the point Mm. where she sneaks in this Christmas gift. Yes. And then... Like, I was already a little bit triggered because Kath talks about how there aren't as many presents as there normally is under the tree because she's no longer with Abel and his family used to give her a present as well. And as an only child who lives in another country who was hideously spoiled as a kid, like, I was horrifically spoiled when I was younger, so I would get mountains of gifts on my birthday and Christmas, like, Dudley Dursley levels of gifts. (laughs) And now that I'm an adult who lives on my own on the other side of the world and sometimes on my birthday or on Christmases, there are no gifts. I find that really hard. Like that is something I actually really struggle with and I try to get around it with other ways. And so like when Kath was talking about there not being a lot of presents, I'm like, oh no, personal trigger warning. Everyone chill out. But um, what really got me is that she says she sits with her back against the door, but no one came upstairs. And I just know that sometimes when you're really upset and you're crying, what you actually want is someone to check on you. Yeah. And it feels so isolating when no one does. Yeah. I feel like she's just really going through it. She doesn't feel like she really has any support. She's trying to be strong for her dad. She hasn't turned in her writing final because she doesn't actually believe that she can write it. And she's using her dad's illness as an excuse. 100%. Yeah. I hate to say it, but it's true. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons she was so quick to hightail it out of there, because I would have, in her position, I would have been like, oh, great, a reason for me not to do this thing. Yep. So, you know, I just feel like she's really going through it, and she deserves a big old hug. For the record, when my my daughter storms off like that, I will ask, do you want me to follow you or leave you alone? And she usually says, follow me. Do we (laughs) find you? Yes. Okay. Sometimes asking is okay. (laughs) Sometimes I need a minute to not be annoyed at her for whatever she's chucking a wobbly about, and then I can go follow her. But I will usually ask, do you want me to find you or leave you alone? If you encounter these people in the wild, that's my way of dealing with it, is to just ask. I just know that like in the past when I've had massive fights with someone and I would go off to have like a cry. It is so much worse when no one comes to check on you. It's like, how dare you? I have stormed off. Why have you not followed up? You should be here eating crow. (laughs) Apologizing. Telling me you love me and you're sorry. Perpetuates the anger. Oh, it makes it so much worse, doesn't it? Now I'm angry at you for another reason. (laughs) I guess we have so many feelings. Too many. Unsubscribe. Next week, we'll be reading chapters 21 through 24 through the theme of openness, which will be really exciting. Yeah, I hope there's lots of communication. Yes, let's turn this around. The sad, sad ship. I'm ready to turn it around. We'll be halfway through, so turn it around. Hopefully next week will be a little less, like, traumatizing. It's really hard reading, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't a lot. It was just chapter after chapter of terrible things. Yes, the bright spot was Levi manning up and the girl in the library. Yeah, she was great. Four for you, girl in the library. Yeah. All right, thank you so much for potting with me. Thank you. It was a great discussion. I know. I can't believe I had so much about a theme that I was so convinced I would not find anything about. Turns out I had some opinions. There we go. I love your opinions. To nobody's (laughs) surprise, I had some opinions. (laughs) Can't wait to talk about openness next week. Really looking forward to it. It'll be so good. All right. Right. See you then. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.